There are all kinds of people in this world and all kinds of thinkers and all kinds of brains, big ones, little ones, whatever, that the difference, difference is okay, you know, and it, it can be really great. Welcome to Wild Peace, a place where parents of kids who struggle can come together for camaraderie, inspiration, and support. If a child in your life faces learning and attentional challenges, developmental differences, or mental health concerns, this is for you. I'm your host, Kendra Wild. Hi there. I'm so glad you found some space in your life to sneak in a podcast with me. Today, I think you'll find my guest super refreshing and fascinating. Pamela Clapp is a teacher at an independent school for kids age 11 to 19 who are gifted but challenged. She's also the mom of two kids who happen to have challenges of their own. Pamela teaches science and math, but she's no run-of-the-mill science and math teacher. For starters, she has a PhD in physics, which gives her this unique point of view on everything. Her teaching is all about facilitating curiosity. To give you an idea, her chemistry class is based on a program called Caveman Chemistry. It follows the history of chemical technology and helps kids relate the lessons to everyday life. She also teaches a wildly successful STEM-centered Science Friday class and runs an after-school engineering club called Gizmo Alliance. Just the name of that cracks me up. It makes me want to join it. On top of all that, she leads set design and construction, and she does all the costume design and creation for the school's annual drama production. When we spoke, she was scrambling to get the last of the costumes sewn. And you know what? She took the time to share her story, and I loved every minute. Her perspective on neurodifferences will make you see things in a whole new light. Enjoy. Hey, Pamela, how are you? Hey, Kendra. I'm picturing that you are sitting in the midst of a bunch of fabric scraps and like Peter Pan costume parts. Is that where you are? (laughs) That is accurate. We tried to straighten up a little. We have the whole common room of our school with tables and sewing machines and multiple fabrics and designs in process and parents are here volunteering and sewing and cutting patterns out. Oh, how much fun. So that leads us right into, could you tell us about what you do for a living? Sure. I'd love to. Mm -hmm. So I kind of fell into this job about eight years ago. Mm -hmm. I teach all of the sciences and math and a newly launched STEM program at a very small special ed school called the Corwin Russell School. And it's a school for kids that have very high potential but haven't succeeded for various reasons in their previous setting. Mm -hmm. And so we've got sixth graders through 12th graders for a total of 50 odd students in January, which is why we're doing these costumes. We do what I think of as kind of an in-house outward bound 
We do a full-scale musical at the end of the month. We take the month off. Kids don't have classes. They have parts. Everyone has to be in it. Everybody has to wear a costume. Fun. Yeah. I love the idea, outward bound inside. Yeah. (laughs) It stretches them in Mm -hmm. ways that they're not used to and brings, you know, a sense of community and at the end, you know. Yeah. And you, in addition to being the STEM expert, you somehow have a costume expertise. So I'm a big sewer as a hobbyist. Oh, And so when I joined up with this gang, I started sewing costumes with them. And then slowly over the years, I've gone what I tend to call off book and done some (laughs) costume designing. It's really fun to know the student because Mm -hmm. we're so small. I know these kids really well. Know the student that I'm building the costume for. And sort of make that connection. And then when you take the costume over to them and say, okay, try this on, they really, really appreciate it and makes them feel very good and very cared for. Mm -hmm. That must be really magical. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So let's rewind back to your beginning and your family and go back to when your kids were little and let's talk about them. Yeah. So I had my first child, a son out in California without really knowing how to change a diaper. I remember the nurse at the (laughs) hospital being a little appalled that I didn't know what I was doing. And (laughs) Mm -hmm. after he was a couple weeks old, we moved back East, which was very difficult in of itself. I'm sure. You know, so at that time, I didn't know what the word neurotypical meant or that it even existed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he went to the Montessori school for, I think it was kindergarten. And I remember the head of school pulling me aside and saying, you know, life will not be easy for him. Mm. Oh, okay. (laughs) Which I didn't get. I didn't really understand why she said that. I, Mm -hmm. you know, both... My son's father and myself come from overly educated families, a lot of Mm -hmm. intellectuals there. And in retrospect, how else could it be for him? Yeah. But so then my daughter is two years younger than my son, and Mm -hmm. she started the preschool at the same Lexington Montessori. And She had the dubious honor of being the only, this is what they told me, the only preschool student they've ever had that they couldn't toilet train. (laughs) Oh, congratulations. Yeah. Isn't that neat? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I didn't know that there was anything going on with her that was different from how it should be. Perhaps because, you know, my family history is such that there's a lot of oddballs. And so she was a little odd. Uh, So what? So here you are, like schools telling you that both of them uh, have something going on. Yeah, and I'm not really registering. It's kind of funny. Then I took my daughter out of the Montessori school, Mm -hmm. and I tried to go back to work. So she went into the local daycare 
And this was more of your typical environment, perhaps, mm-hmm. as a way to put it. And the teachers there were spot on. They said, look, she can't learn, you know, in the dance class. She's standing on the tables barking, which, by the uh-huh. way, I thought was understandable given that we had dogs and things. But mm-hmm. And they said <laughs> she should be evaluated. What's evaluated? You know, I didn't Good. know yes. any of this terminology. Early mm. intervention? What's that? At that time, she was four years old. So she missed early intervention. The pediatrician didn't catch anything either. Very interesting in retrospect why they didn't. I noticed that it was very difficult to teach her how to use a mouse on a computer and things like that. She would jump to the highest point in the room when the vacuum was out or run inside Mm. if she heard an airplane. And so then, you know, there's the ball rolling along that hill of, perhaps it's not a hill, perhaps it's flatland of, um, you know, how does her mind work and what does she need to function? So how did you figure it out? What happened? Well, it was actually her dad one day came home and said, I saw her flapping her hands. I think she might be autistic. Mm. And that's really when I, you know, got on the ball and did some mm-hmm. research and called people and talked to, I can't remember who it was, but whoever it was said, have her evaluated for speech and language. Oh, no, start with hearing. We started with hearing. And the hearing test was normal. And so it was Children's, I think, Children's Hospital that mm-hmm. jumped me over to a neuropsych evaluator. And that was where it starts. And what about your son? Was he happening in another parallel path? Were you also discovering more about him? So he was in the public school after the Montessori school. And (laughs) Hmm. I mean, I hear this story from the parents of my students also. Mm -hmm. It's really common with kids like I teach. The story is that, oh, they've been sent to the principal. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, why? Because when I was, so this is the teacher speaking, when I was reading the story, um, I don't know, Hansel and Gretel or something, Mm -hmm. he put his hands over his ears and was humming. You know, and to me it was obvious, okay, so he doesn't want to hear the story, perhaps it's too emotionally difficult. Mm-hmm. And that's why he got sent to the principal. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, or yeah, another he's... time, you know, there was a, a like a timer on the teacher's desk. Or no, there was a clock and the clock was wrong. And so he picked it up to change the time. But you're not supposed to touch things on the teacher's desk. Uh-huh. Principal. <laughs> ah. Yeah. All these poor kids. I like to think that schools are starting to learn so much more, even from the days when our kids were a little bit younger. Because how old are yours now? So my son is 21 and my daughter is 19. Yeah, but that's still, it's not always the case. (laughs) It's really not. And it continues not to really be the case. You know, different 
neurologically functioning people are not well understood by, you know, teachers who have a lot of students that they need Mm -hmm. to teach a certain amount of things. Sometimes you get lucky, I suppose. I've heard of lucky people, but my road was more about, okay, my daughter needs a lot. My son is functioning okay. I'll put him in private school and let's get the daughter in the right situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All those school choices and advocating is just, is a whole career unto itself. Yes, (laughs) it is. And there's a bit of socioeconomic unfairness because I, I agree at that time, I think we took a home equity loan on our house in order to hire an evaluator so the person we hired was a, an ABA person, applied mm-hmm. behavior analysis. And, you know, then we needed to hire a lawyer because the town we were in really had no program that mm-hmm. would work for us. It was kind of frightening, the classroom mm-hmm. that they put my daughter in. To me, it was frightening. You know, so and, and so then... There you are. You've spent you are. so much money. And, yeah. and that's true. And for some families... You know, you either break the bank trying to afford that, or you don't realize that that's what's required to get some of the services you need. It's true. And you're emotionally freaked out, for lack of a better Mm -hmm. word, you know, when you (laughs) go into meetings with school districts and to be your own advocate. Well, there are some people that can do it, some moms and dads. I personally was not able to do it at that time. Over the years, I've learned many things and I can do it now. It's actually fairly straightforward. And you know, many of the advocates that you can hire to help you out in IEP meetings have a child that went through that. Yeah. And then yes. they learned how to advocate and then they do it now for other people. Yeah. I just find it fascinating when parents like like us find their own sense of purpose or discover their own career path based on their parenting experience. Like, isn't that how you got into your school? It's absolutely Teaching? how I got mm-hmm. here. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I didn't really plan it this way, but mm-hmm. I love my job and I think I'm doing a pretty good job of it. Well, so how did you get into it, I guess? Yeah. So my daughter started, eventually we managed to make enough noise that she got to community therapeutic day school Mm -hmm. in Lexington and she was accepted there, which was, I remember the day very clearly when they Mm -hmm. called me and said she could go to school there. It was like, it must be like people feel when they get into the college that they want to go to. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. I have help. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And while she was there, it's kind of a special place because they help the whole family. And there was a a parent group therapy. Mm -hmm. And I got to know the teachers and I eventually got to know the psychiatrist and head co-head of school. I'm not sure what he was. Mm -hmm. And I started to talk to him and he said, well, I asked him to be my therapist, so he's my therapist. And then in the process of that, you know, we were talking about what I might do because I'm 
you know, I'm, I'm overeducated. I have a doctorate in physics. And wow. although I had tried to, you know, go back to work, it didn't work early. Yeah. And he said, look, there's hard. this school that, and, and I've heard that the students are having trouble with their physics. Why don't you go see if you can volunteer and help them out? Oh, what a nice connection. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I did that. And I connected with these kinds of students. And I asked for a job a half a year later. And the head of school said, yeah, great. You're That's on. great. Yeah. So being at school and then coming home to kids who are all struggling in their own ways, that must um, your home must inform your work and your work must inform your your parenting. Yeah, it's a bit of a continuum. I think you got mm-hmm. that right. So because all of the faculty here are working with kids that are pretty different, having a different daughter is no big deal. And then actually I okay, so back up a little bit. I didn't uh-huh. get to this school by myself. It was actually my son who was referred here, oh, you know, in fifth grade. Uh-huh. The mm-hmm. private school that he was at said, well, we think he's ADD and we think that the special needs school would be really good for him. <laughs> At which point I'm thinking, what? Wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why don't you leave here? <laughs> yeah. It's like, and, but then, you know, he walked in the door of the school and he knew that he liked it. I walked in the door and I knew I liked it. He started before I did. And so he wow. was, he was in my classes. He was my student for a while. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so, so then, you know, he gets his neuropsych and then he gets a diagnosis of ADD, ADHD and VLD. Don't you love all these letters? Yeah. Should we tell everyone what they are? We, we know ADHD, I think. Yep. Nonverbal learning disability. Nonverbal learning disability. So that means that his scores on the verbal tests of the neuropsychology battery of tests Mm -hmm. was significantly higher than his visual spatial scores. So that difference causes problems. So yeah. And frustration and frustration. So they're, you know, maybe they're reading at a middle school level while they're in remedial math, things like Mm -hmm. that. So one time you told me that you feel like parents, that you went through kind of an enlightenment on this during this time. And I love that term. I just wanted to hear, like, (laughs) have you expand on that? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of cool. There's a couple ways you can look at having a special needs child. So You know, my daughter carries an autism diagnosis, but for a while it was simply called neurologic communications. But the way it presents is a whole lot of OCD. She can't process or speak, you know, express herself, Mm -hmm. you know, commensurate with her age, not even close. And so you can look at her like she's broken and this sucks and let's fix her. And Mm -hmm. initially, both her dad and myself did that. Okay, what does she need to, you know, catch up? Okay, she needs ABA, eight hours a day, reading, communication, et cetera, et cetera. And we did that for about a year, 
you know, and it was a hundred thousand plus dollars. It's ridiculous. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no way the district was going to give us that, but yeah, she did learn to read and it was probably worth it. And then you're struggling on a day-to-day basis because you are, for example, you're in the grocery store and she's freaking out. She's mm-hmm. screaming, you know, this is making a scene. Little. Yeah. But there is a way of looking at it that I think is really healthy and it has to do with disregarding what we all expect of neurotypical people and asking yourself, how can I solve this problem that's right in front of me? You know, my daughter freaks out in grocery stores. I don't really know why. Maybe it's too bright. Maybe it's too noisy. Maybe she has a stomach ache. But you try things that help her to get through the experience of the grocery store. You problem solve. Mm-hmm. And so that was sort of the beginning of of what I feel like was just opening my world experience. You start to think about who you are and and your culture a bit differently. You know, we were we were at the movies, myself, my daughter, two of her friends and their moms. And we were quite a silly looking bunch. I mean, you've got three <laughs> clearly special needs kids walking mm-hmm. around the movie theater. We didn't know which movie screen we were supposed to go to. We mm-hmm. were having trouble carrying all of our things. And we just started to laugh. And some people looked at us, you know, kind of funny. And and we thought to ourselves, us moms, we said, you know, <laughs> it's kind of nice that we don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> That's so liberating to get to that point. Right. I think it does take sometimes a little bit of time to realize, you know what? It really doesn't matter it really what doesn't everyone matter. else thinks. Because as a result of, you know, Zoe's disability, I got to know a lot of really interesting and intelligent and thoughtful, compassionate people. Yeah, it's a whole a whole world you wouldn't have discovered. Precisely. Mm-hmm. Precisely. So yeah. yeah, I'm not even sure what it's like in other households anymore. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think started to change your lens and help you start, you know, looking at how do I facilitate and make one choice at a time that makes life better rather than just saying, oh, this sucks? Right. Good question. I think it was a combination of the group therapy at her school. Mm-hmm. My own visits to a a very wise person, therapist, and a very practical way of looking at the world that I inherited. Um, Mm, That's interesting. (laughs) The physicist mind. Yeah. Yeah. Right? That reminds me when you were telling me about sort of some science fantasy geek, you called it, geek book that you love. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Discworld by Terry Pratchett. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you were talking about a character that you relate to. And I think that that would be fun to talk about here. <laughs> the character that I admire perhaps is called Granny Weatherwax. Discworld is a series of, oh, I think Terry Pratchett wrote 40 of them or something. He's, oh, wow. He was knighted, you know, so he's Sir Terry Pratchett. Yeah. And it's, it's satirical fantasy. 
and Granny Weatherwax is a is a witch, but a witch is like somebody who takes care and is kind of wise and a bit bossy and you know does the right thing for people. Mm-hmm. And she said there's one there's a lot of quotes that you can look up from these books and it's funny because I'm not normally a fan of, you know, media or anything, (laughs) uh but, um, she says personal is not the same as important. Yeah. Right. Personal is not the same as important. So what does she mean by that? Well, I'm not sure, but what I take from it, (laughs) (laughs) not being a word girl myself, what I take from it is that how you're feeling because your daughter's flipping out in, in the grocery store is something, mm-hmm. but it's not really what's important. What's important is her experience of the grocery store. Yeah. Right. So yeah. what's important, you know, you, you may be tempted to take your child to a hundred different evaluators or professionals or, you know, this, that, and the other thing. and and try to fix her but what is her experience of the world and how do you make that a positive experience because what gets laid down in in their experience when they're young can carry for a long time in their lives yeah because the if we're thinking about them being broken of course you transmit that yeah. energy to them and then they think they're yeah, broken they're too broken right too. Right. Yeah, we were talking, I mean, words are just so important. The words that we use to describe our kids. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really true. And I went through this period of being unhappy with disability, even. Yeah, I don't um, like that word either, I know. <laughs> you know, so I'm, I, you know, neurotypical and... So scientifically, a lot of things are on a distribution. I'm going to go science here for a sec. All right. So are we like a bell curve? Yeah, here? we're on a bell I curve. Think- Precisely. <laughs> yes, we, I, yeah, I know that it. one. You know, <laughs> I get it. So IQ averages, are, I think, are what, 105 or 110? Mm-hmm. They were initially set at 100 as the center of that bell curve. Uh, and then mm-hmm. you have these tails on either side. And everything about us is is kind of, we're somewhere on that curve. That's more the way I think of it. You know, I don't think of it as, oh, she can't pass the high school graduation test. She, you know, she can't, she's, she might be able to drive, but I doubt it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, this sort of thing. But that's because she's at this place on that curve. But she can do these other remarkable things. Yeah. And... Maybe they're not remarkable for my neighbor's kids, but they sure are remarkable for me, mm-hmm. you know? And so you appreciate them for what they bring to the table yeah. and you don't let school districts and professionals. That's why the IEP meeting is so hard because the whole meeting is about what they can't do. I agree. Most of them are. Yeah. yeah. We're talking about all the deficiencies and yeah. all the problems. That's and the very nature of you're the not beast, really, but, mm-hmm. you know. But if you were doing a strength-based approach and said, it, that just that model just doesn't necessarily fit into to school. No. So to traditional school. That's right. 
And, and so you have to you have to recognize that the IEP meeting is a business meeting. It's about funding, or something like yeah. that. Some way of putting that in a different place in your own mind, and then you go back to your kid, you know, who maybe puts together puzzles like crazy or mm-hmm. whatever it is, and you just don't know where would that take you, right? And who will you meet, and mm-hmm. what will you learn from her? So there's so many answers you could give to this. I know because I can tell by talking to you, but when you think back, what do you wish you had known at the beginning? If you were talking to parents Mm -hmm. whose kids are newly diagnosed or they're sort of early in the journey of, you know, not what they expected. I think what would be great, and it's not like this, is is to have been more aware of this concept of anti-bias. Mm-hmm. So anti-bias meaning there are all kinds of people in this world and all kinds of thinkers and all kinds of brains, big ones, little ones, whatever, that that difference difference is okay. You know, and yeah. it, it can be really great. I also would have liked to you know, going into my pregnancy, for example, to have perhaps a broader mind then of how my own kids would would turn out. I mean, I think I suspect this might be true of everybody. I don't know, but you have this vision that they're going to go to preschool, go to kindergarten. Imagine, right? It's just a straight path. It's not a straight path. And, and even for, you know, very successful high school kids that go on to college, they can fall apart in college. So maybe it's that mindset, not just when you're pregnant, but all along, all just along. not expecting right. everything to be smooth, yeah. but learning how to be nimble and aware and Nimble. and understand like why why things are happening. Yeah, and within that I think it creates some space for you to still be you. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz you yeah, can get really cause... lost. So, you know, you might think I don't have time to take a shower. <laughs> there was a time when taking a shower <laughs> some- was a challenge. Um, <laughs> so think outside the box, bring your kid in the shower with you. You know, mm-hmm. even though your child is maybe 10 years old, I'm, I don't know. Um, do what works, but. But remember yourself. Yeah. Cre- try to create some space for that. You know, my children's dad had a really hard time and I think still carries a great deal of guilt about, you know, my daughter's uh, struggles. Yeah. Or my daughter's, her makeup, her physical biochemical uh makeup, you know, Mm -hmm. and for a long time he blamed himself. Um, (laughs) And that interfered with his ability to really hang out with her. Yeah. And, and so that's gotta be true for moms too. Yeah. So when you think about uh, if someone were at the beginning, you'd want them to try to get past the guilt somehow. Yeah. Get past the guilt, get past hurt, you know, some extended family people can be really great about, about, about it when they hear that your child is quote disabled, but more often than not, the 
extended or the grandparents or the aunts and uncles would be more like, are you sure? Well, you know, (laughs) or very, very unsupportive because they don't know what to do with it because they have no experience with it. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's so important to to teach them. Yeah, you you you, you teach them a bit. Instead of dismissing them. Instead Mm -hmm. of dismissing them, yeah. But then it's not your job, really. Your job is to take care of yourself and your kid. Yes. So find community, you know, if it takes a, a talented therapist or, or a social worker to talk to, to sort of understand your guilt and, and, you know, talk to people that make you feel better and don't talk to people that make you feel worse. Mm-hmm. Put those boundaries up for sure. Yeah. What do you do for yourself now? Oh yeah. I have a routine and, <laughs> you know, I get up a little earlier than mm-hmm. everybody. Well, my two kids and, I sit outside for a good 15, 20 minutes, even if it's snowing or raining with my coffee cup. That's what I do. And Mm. I have dogs and it crowds my life because dogs need care, but they give a great deal of love too. And there's that. And even when it's pouring rain or snowing, you do that. Yeah, I get an umbrella. I kind of like to have a screen porch, but an umbrella works too. (laughs) (laughs) it's the the outdoors for me yeah nature yeah Mm -hmm. what else yeah and having a hobby so I can knit I used to take my knitting to all these appointments back in the Uh day so this was you know she's 19 so what 10 years ago I would take my knitting with me yeah there's something so satisfying you know there's research on that like the repetition, for example, mm-hmm. of knitting is, yeah. is very meditative, it's very but it's soothing. also satisfying. Yeah. And soothing, satisfying to make something. It is satisfying to make something very satisfying. And so whatever you're drawn to aesthetically. So for me, it's the feel of the yarn. I was really disappointed. The first, or the costume. <laughs> or the costume, precisely. Mm-hmm. When we get new parents here at school, that we have the first parent night and mm-hmm. we talk to them and we say, okay, leave your sword at the door. Oh yeah. Leave your sword. Leave at the your door. sword at the door. Yeah. Get a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> leave your sword at the door. Bring um, your knitting you needles. don't have to fight here for your kid oh, to get wow. what they need. Wow. Think how powerful that is. Yeah. Because, I mean, I know you know how powerful that, that it's is. It's a bit but, of a leap of faith for the parents. Yeah. But to, to take your guard down, I think mm. a lot of parents are just, you know, constantly vigilant mm-hmm. and it becomes a survival mode. Yep. And, and sometimes then forget to even know how to turn it off. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Hmm. Right? Yeah. Mm. And I think we're hard on ourselves too. Yeah, me too. As you were talking about, I love the scientist term you used with me once about how it's impractical. Right. Can you tell us that a little? Well, <laughs> it's <laughs> funny, you know, that reminds me of something we say to kids here when they're making a whole lot of noise in class or being disruptive or something. And we say, well, what are you doing? Well, I'm 
trying to finish this project I really like that has nothing to do with the class. Mm-hmm. And you say, well, <laughs> is it working? <laughs> it's not about, you know, the, the deep reasons why this kid is being, you know, disruptive. It's, you know, yeah. okay, is this working for you? And it's usually not. <laughs> and they usually don't feel that great about not attending the class, you know, content mm-hmm. anyway. So if you're running around with a whole lot of uh, guilt and you're, and, and you're racing around with your head cut off and your zillions of files and folders of all their assessments and et cetera, et cetera, is that working for the kid? Um, maybe. I doubt it. I kind of doubt it. You know? I remember an amazing therapist said to me one time, you know, do you ever just sit down with them and play? Mm. Like you're going to these appointments, you do this thing on Monday and that thing on Tuesday and and you're cramming in everything you can try to do and you feel like you're being so diligent. Yep. But sometimes there's, you can do so much more by not doing, Yep. you know, by just, just being there with them and you're, you don't have to be a manager, a case manager every moment. That's true. You really don't. And the, the cool thing is that they're your offspring. They're being raised in your family, even if they're not genetically related to you. The nurture part of nature and nurture is kicking in. You start to see in these kids, anxious, OCD, whatever it is, pieces of you. And it's really cool. I, you know, I, I see it in my daughter every once in a while, and it's like this moment of beauty. You know, for example, she really likes math. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, she can add double-digit numbers, but if you ask her how much a car costs, she might say $5. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> so, but she likes it. She's drawn to it, and so was I. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Yeah, really interesting. So before we have to say goodbye, yeah, I would love to know, do you have just a quote or a mantra or anything that you live by that helps you? So, yeah, I do have one that is overarching amongst the others, but I think it's Japanese and I don't remember where I, I read it. It goes like this, my barn having burned to the ground I can now see the moon. Ooh, wow. Right? I love that. Isn't that nice? Say it again. My barn having burned to the ground, I can now see the moon. Wow, I love that. Isn't that wonderful? Yep. Yeah. And that's pretty much in a nutshell. It is. How I feel about this whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) That is lovely. That is so wonderful. I love it. Yeah. Gosh, Pamela, thank you so much for going through your story with us today. I just think it's so helpful for parents who are are just still going through with their swords Mm -hmm. to just stop and hear about maybe another way of being, another way of finding a little bit more ease. Yeah, that's what I would wish for, for everybody who's listening. Yeah, me too. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. You've been listening to Wild Peace, a podcast created to bolster parents of kids who are struggling with mental health, learning issues, developmental differences, and more. 
If you'd like to suggest a guest or share your story, we would love to hear from you. Go to wildpeace.org, that's W-I-L-D-P-E-A-C-E dot org, to leave suggestions, see show notes from this episode, and explore more resources. You can also leave a message at 617-433-8582. Since this is a podcast, we especially love hearing your voice. And if you enjoy what you're hearing, please take a minute to rate us on Apple Podcasts. Just scroll down to those five purple stars and click. Your positive reviews will ensure that more parents who could use some wild peace can find us. This show is a production of Wild Peace for Parents, a nonprofit dedicated to helping parents find calm and build resilience. Because child well being starts with parent well being. <laughs>